You are listening to the Mystical City of God in the Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to find the Mystical City of God in Year podcast group and share your own thoughts and insights into today's readings. Now let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 253. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 20, Paragraphs 624 to 632. Chapter 20 Our Savior, by order of Pilate, is scourged, crowned with thorns, and mocked. The behavior of the Most Holy Mary during this time. 624 Pilate, aware of the obstinate hostility of the Jews against Jesus of Nazareth, and unwilling to condemn him to death, of which he knew him to be innocent, thought that a severe scourging of Jesus might placate the fury of the ungrateful people and soothe the envy of the priests and the scribes. If he should have failed in anything pertaining to their ceremonies and rites, they would probably consider him sufficiently chastised and cease in their persecutions and in their clamors for his death. Pilate was led to this belief by what they had told him in the course of his trial— for they had vainly and foolishly calumniated Christ of not observing the Sabbath and other ceremonies, as is evident from his sermons reported by the evangelists, John 9, 6. But Pilate was entirely wrong in his judgment and acted like an ignorant man, for neither could the master of all holiness be guilty of any defect in the observance of that law which he had come not to abolish but to fulfill, Matthew 5, 7. Nor, even if the accusation had been true, would he have deserved such an outrageous punishment. For the laws of the Jews, far from demanding such an inhuman and cruel scourging, contained other regulations for atonement for more common faults. In still greater error was this judge in expecting any mercy or natural kindness and compassion from the Jews. Their anger and wrath against the most meek master was not human not such as ordinarily is appeased by the overthrow and humiliation of the enemy. For men have hearts of flesh, and the love of their own kind is natural and the source of at least some compassion. But these perfidious Jews were clothed in the guise of demons, or rather transformed into demons, who exert the more furious rage against those who are rendered more helpless and wretched, who, when they see anyone most helpless, say, Let us pursue him now since he has none to defend, nor free him from our hands. 6.25 Such was the implacable fury of the priests and of their confederates, 
the Pharisees, against the author of life. For Lucifer, despairing of being able to hinder his murder by the Jews, inspired them with his own dreadful malice and outrageous cruelty. Pilate, placed between the known truth and his human and terrestrial considerations, chose to follow the erroneous leading of the latter, and ordered Jesus to be severely scourged, though he had himself declared him free of guilt. John 19.1 Thereupon those ministers of Satan, with many others, brought Jesus our Savior to the place of punishment, which was a courtyard or enclosure attached to the house, and set apart for the torture of criminals in order to force them to confess their crimes. It was enclosed by a low, open building surrounded by columns, some of which supported the roof, while others were lower and stood free. To one of these columns, which was of marble, they bound Jesus very securely, for they still thought him a magician and feared his escape. 6.26 They first took off the white garment, with not less ignominy than when they clothed him therein, in the house of the adulterous homicide Herod. In loosening the ropes and chains which he had borne since his capture in the garden, they cruelly widened the wounds which his bonds had made in, the, in his arms and wrists. Having freed his hands, they commanded him with infamous blasphemies to despoil himself of the seamless tunic which he wore. This was the identical garment with which his most blessed mother had clothed him in Egypt when he first began to walk, as I have related in its place. Our Lord at present had no other garment, since they had taken from him his mantle or cloak when they seized him in the garden. The Son of the Eternal Father obeyed the executioners and began to unclothe himself, ready to bear the shame of the exposure of his most sacred and modest body before such a multitude of people. By his tormentors, impatient at the delay which modesty required, tore away the tunic with violence in order to hasten his undressing, and, as is said, flay the sheep with the wool. With the exception of a strip of cloth for a cincture, which he wore beneath the tunic, and with which his mother likewise had clothed him in Egypt, the Lord stood now naked. These garments had grown with his sacred body, nor had he ever taken them off. The same is to be said of his shoes, which his mother had placed on his feet. However, as I have said on a former occasion, he had many times walked barefooted during his preaching. 6.27. I understand that some of the doctors have said or have persuaded themselves that our Savior Jesus had a scourging and his crucifixion, for his greater humiliation permitted the executioners to despoil him of all his clothing. But having again been commanded under holy obedience to ascertain the truth in this matter, I was told that the Divine Master was prepared to suffer all the insults compatible with decency that the executioners attempted to subject his body to the shame of total nakedness, seeking to despoil him of the cincture which covered his loins. But in that they failed, because on touching it their arms became paralyzed and stiff, as had happened also in the house of Caiaphas when they attempted to take off his clothes. Chapter 17 All the six of his tormentors separately made the attempt with the same result. Yet afterwards, these ministers of evil, in order to scourge him with greater effect, raised some of the coverings, for so much the Lord permitted, but not that he should be uncovered and despoiled of his garments entirely. The miracle of their being hindered and paralyzed in their brutal attempts did not, however, move or soften the hearts of these human beasts, but in their diabolical insanity, they attributed it all 
to the supposed sorcery and witchcraft of the author of truth and life. 628. Thus the Lord stood uncovered in the presence of a great multitude, and the six torturers bound him brutally to one of the columns, in order to chastise him so much the more at their ease. Then two and two at a time they began to scourge him with such inhuman cruelty, as was possible only in men possessed by Lucifer, as were these executioners. The first two scourged the innocent Savior with hard and thick cords full of rough knots, and in their sacrilegious fury stained all the powers of their body to inflict the blows. This first scourging raised in the deified body of the Lord great welts and livid tumors, so that the sacred blood gathered beneath the skin and disfigured his entire body. Already it began to ooze through the wounds. The first two, having at length desisted, the second pair continued the scourging and still greater emulation. With hardened leather thongs, they leveled their strokes upon the places already sore, and caused the discolored tumors to break open and shed forth the sacred blood until it bespattered and drenched the garments of the sacrilegious torturers, running down also in streams to the pavement. These two gave way to the third pair of scourgers, who commenced to beat the Lord with extremely tough rawhides, dry, hard, like oyster twigs. They scourged him still more cruelly because they were wounding not so much his virginal body as cutting into the wounds already produced by the previous scourging, Besides, they had been secretly incited to greater fury by the demons who were filled with new rage at the patience of Christ. 6.29 As the veins of the sacred body had now been opened and his whole person seemed but one continued wound, the third pair found no more room for new wounds. Their ceaseless blows inhumanly tore the immaculate and virginal flesh of Christ our Redeemer and scattered many pieces of it about the pavement, so much so that a large portion of the shoulder bones were exposed and showed red through the flowing blood. In other places also the bones were laid bare, larger than the palm of the hand, in order to wipe out entirely that beauty which exceeded that of all the other men. Psalm 44.3 They beat him in the face and in the feet and hands, thus leaving unwounded not a single spot in which they could exert their fury and wrath against the most innocent lamb. The divine blood flowed to the ground, gathering here and there in great abundance. The scourging in the face and in the hands and feet was unspeakably painful, because these parts are so full of sensitive and delicate nerves. His venerable countenance became so swollen and wounded that the body and the swellings blinded him. In addition to their blows, the executioners spirited upon his person their disgusting spittle and loaded him with insulting epithets. The exact number of blows was dealt out to the Savior from head to foot was 5,115. The great Lord and author of all creation, who by his divine nature was incapable of suffering, was in his human flesh and for our sake reduced to a man of sorrows, as prophesied, and was made to experience our infirmities, becoming the last of men, Isaiah 53.3, a man of sorrows and the outcast of the people. 6.30. The multitudes who had followed the Lord filled up the courtyard of Pilate's house and the surrounding streets, for all of them waited for the issue of this event, discussing and arguing about it according to each one's views. Amid all this confusion, the Virgin Mary endured unheard of insult, and she was deeply afflicted by the injuries and blasphemies heaped upon her divine Son by the Jews and Gentiles. When they brought Jesus to the scourging place, she retired in the company of the Marys and St. John to a corner of the courtyard. Assisted by her divine vision, she 
there witnessed all the scourgings and the torments of our Savior. Although she did not see it with the eyes of her body, nothing was hidden to her, no more than if she had been standing quite near. Human thoughts cannot comprehend how great and how diverse were the afflictions and sorrows of the great queen and mistress of the angels, together with many other mysteries of the divinity that shall become manifest in the next life for the glory of the Son and Mother. I have already mentioned in other places of this history, and especially in that of the Passion, that the Blessed Mother felt in her, her own body all the torments of her son. This was true also of the scourging, which she felt in all the parts of her virginal body, in the same intensity as they were felt by Christ in his body. Although she shed no blood, except what flowed from her eyes with her tears, nor was lacerated in her flesh, yet the bodily pain so changed and disfigured her that St. John and the holy women failed to find in her any resemblance of herself. Besides the tortures of the body, she suffered ineffable sorrows of the soul. Their sorrow was augmented in proportion to the immensity of her insight. For her sorrows flowed not only from the natural love of a mother and of a supreme love of Christ as her God, but it was proportioned to her power of judging more accurately than all the creatures of the innocence of Christ, the dignity of his divine person, the atrocity of the insults coming from the perfidious Jews and the children of Adam, whom he was freeing from eternal death. 6.31 Having at length executed the sentence of scourging, the executioners unbound the Lord from the column, and with imperious and blasphemous presumption, commanded him immediately to put on his garment. But while they had scourged the most meek master, one of his tormentors, instigated by the devil, had hidden his clothes out of sight in order to prolong the nakedness and exposure of his divine person for their derision and sport. This evil purpose suggested by the devil was well known to the mother of the Lord. She therefore, making use of her power as queen, commanded Lucifer and all his demons to leave the neighborhood, and immediately compelled by her sovereign power and virtue, they fled. She gave orders that the tunic be brought by the holy angels within reach of her most holy son, so that he could again cover his sacred and lacerated body. All this was immediately attended to, although the sacrilegious executioners understood not the miracle nor how it had been wrought. They attributed it all to sorcery and magic of the demon. During this protracted nakedness, our Savior had, in addition to his wounds, suffered greatly from the cold of that morning as mentioned by the evangelists. Mark 14.55, Luke 22.35, John 18.18. His sacred blood had frozen and compressed the wounds, which had become inflamed and extremely painful. The cold had diminished his powers of resistance, although the fire of his infinite charity strained them to the utmost in order to suffer more and more. Though compassion is so natural and rational creatures, there was none for him in his affliction and necessity, except that of his sorrowful mother who tearfully bewailed and pitied him in the name of the whole human race. 6.32. Among other divine mysteries hidden to the wise of this world, this also caused great astonishment that the wrath of the Jews, who were men of flesh and blood like ourselves, should not have been appeased at their seeing Christ torn and wounded by 5,115 lashes, that the sight of a person so lacerated should not have moved their natural compassion, but should arouse their envy to inflict new and unheard of tortures upon the victim. Their implacable fury at once planned another outrageous cruelty. They went to Pilate, and in the presence of his counselors said, This seducer and deceiver of the people, Jesus of Nazareth, in his boasting and vanity, has sought to be recognized by all as the king of the Jews. 
In order that his pride may be humbled and his presumption be confounded, we desire your permission to place upon him the royal insignia merited by his fantastic pretensions. Pilate yielded to the unjust demand of the Jews, permitting them to proceed according to their intentions. This concludes our reading today for day number 253. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 20, paragraphs 624 to 632. Pilate had Jesus scourged in order to what he thought would placate the people that they would see how wounded he was and realize that they didn't need to put him to death. Talks about atonement. For the laws of the Jews, far from demanding such an inhuman and cruel scourging, contain other regulations for atonement of the more common faults. It's actually us that needs to make atonement for our sins, for our sins and blasphemies, for the ways in which we have offended our Lord. And how do we make atonement? We pour out our heart in sorrow. We express our sorrow. We make atonement by sacrifices. We make atonement by praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, for example, a prayer that totally focuses on the passion of Jesus. Jesus scourged, Maria Vagrida says, he had 5,115 wounds. Interesting, precise number. I know that St. Bridget of Sweden also says that Jesus suffered X number of wounds. What I have found in my study when I've done it of a crossover of different scenes from Maria of Agreda and Venerable Anne Catherine Emmerich and Bridget of Sweden and Maximus the Confessor has been that sometimes these little facts aren't the same between all of the different biographies of Our Lord and Our Lady. 5,115. Not sure of the significance of this number. Of course, if it was like 3,333, we would know the significance or something like that. But this is how many blows, according to Maria of Agreda, that Jesus suffered. Each one of those wounds, bleeding. We heard about the great pain of Jesus. The scourging in the face and in the hands and feet was unspeakably painful because these parts are so full of sensitive and delicate nerves. His venerable countenance became so swollen and wounded that the blood and the swellings blinded him. I've seen one of these crucifixes where Jesus has all of these wounds, where it's very bloody and you know, it's kind of appalling. I don't want to look at this. I don't really want to see the suffering of Jesus. But yet that confronts us. Maybe one of the ways we can make atonement is by meditating on the great pain and suffering of Jesus. To think about him in excruciating pain. Again, that word excruciating from the cross. X from crux, cruciating. From the cross. He's not even on the cross yet. And he's in excruciating pain. Meditate on the pain. Meditate on the wounds of Jesus. 
We can also meditate on the sorrow of Our Lady, how it filled her soul, how it, through the vision of the scourging, disconfigured her, how her soul was full of anguish. Maybe meditate on keeping company with Our Lady in that situation. And what a powerful little anecdote here at the very end of our reading today. That as they were hiding Jesus's clothes and as they were kind of continuing this embarrassment of the Lord, Mary, seeing it, commands all of the demons in the area to flee. And they did. And then asks the angels to bring Jesus's cloak. As I read that, I just imagined it. It was powerful. But imagine in our life, confronted by our demons, Mary, command these demons to get away from me, just as your son Jesus expelled demons. I need your powerful prayers and presence, dear Blessed Mother, right now, as I confront evil in my life. How powerful in that moment and how powerful she can still be for us. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.